Hi guys, welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is a truly fantastic day. I have got Mimika Cooney with me and I swear this woman is a powerhouse, a warrior princess of Creek uh, origin. She is a go-getter, and a woman who doesn't take no for an answer, uh, an honorary member of Control Freaks Anonymous, um, an established author. The accolades could go on. If you have half an hour, I can keep going, actually. And Mimika is an amazing woman who actually has found Jesus Christ at a very early stage, uh, but also has gone through tremendous amounts of trials and tribulations and has written about those and the lessons that she learned uh, in, in several books. One of them is from warrior to warrior. And that, that a, because I'm a martial artist, so that always caught my attention at first. When I started reading it, I couldn't actually put it down. So from that moment onwards, I knew I had to talk to this woman and get her onto my show. And despite of COVID and despite of all the, the, the challenges this year, I finally could track her down and get her here and 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 have her on my show. So Mimika, I'm so, so uh, honored and, and humbled that you spent some time with me today. Well, thanks, Stefan. I so appreciate the invitation. I'm hot, I'm honored and humbled to be here because, you know, little old me, my little corner of the world, just doing my thing. Um, I feel, I'm, I'm just really grateful that I can, my story is reaching other people and really helping and inspiring. So I appreciate you having me on the show. Oh, it is an absolute pleasure. And it truly, it is when I sort of thought about it, how do we start this interview? There are at least a dozen different angles that would be interesting for my viewers and listeners. But I think right now we are both parents and you have I've written the book from warrior to warrior, um, very much with that background. And I think let's start with that because there are so many people out there who are like us, who want to make this world a better place and specifically for our children because we love the buggers. We, we love them to bits. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's why you have to vomit over your shoulder at three o'clock in the morning and you find still that cute. And then you just think, oh God, what happens when you turn from this suave, cool guy into debt, uh, including the dead bot and including the, the everything else. And it's the same for a mummy here. And your, your journey is just so amazing. What made you start writing this book? Where did well, you? Well, yeah, I tell you, where do you want to start, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, as you mentioned, like um, my book was really written out of a place of pain because I really feel like I've, I've been journaling since I was a kid. Like the way to get my thoughts out is to be like, dear diary, you won't believe what Susie said to me today. <laughs> so as a habit, I've always journaled my process, right? It's a way of me sort of, you know, processing my thoughts and then I can read it back and realize I'm signing like a petulant child. And I'm like, okay, you need to pull yourself together, girl. But through this process and through the years, I've realized that there is a lot of power in when you are able to share something that you've been through 
And this was no exception. So, um, you know, I've had a very varied background, but this particular book came from a place where I had gone through a really, really hard season. And some people like to call it the dark night of the soul or the wilderness or whatever you want to call it, where your world, your world is turned upside down and all of a sudden everything that used to be is no longer or starts shifting. And, you know, I, find, I think a lot of us today are in that situation where the normality of what was is no longer and things are changing. And sometimes we either go with it or we resist it or we just kind of get pulled along. And in this instance, um, I have a, you know, I had a close relationship with my mother-in-law, which you mentioned before we started recording that you were born in the same place in Mannheim in Germany. So there's lots of connections there. So Heidi was, uh, I got to know her because I, I met my husband when I was 15. So we are childhood sweethearts. We are still married 25 years later. But Heidi was a very integral part in my uh, spiritual journey as well as my emotional healing. She took me through a process of helping me get over a lot of childhood trauma, including, you know, parents getting divorced, getting bullied, um, you know, uh, a very ugly uh, custody battle and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the, the stories go on and on, and I'm sure everybody could relate to having their own sort of drama story. But she was an integral part of my life, and, you know, we were, we, we were very close. So when she got sick with cancer, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I got to know Jesus at the age of 10, and he's always been my, my you know, my buddy. Uh, to me, Jesus is oxygen. But when life throws you lemons, um, sometimes you don't want to drink the lemonade. So in this case, when she got sick with cancer, it really rocked my world. It really made me question my faith. It questioned, you know, you know what what I'm what I'm doing with my life. Um, you know, it had a lot of things. And coupled with that, seeing her suffer the way she did was really heart wrenching. When you see somebody go through cancer, I mean, she had a brain tumor and they had to do, um, you know, chemo. And eventually, she lost the use of her legs and she just faded away. So eventually, after battling cancer for two years, when she passed away in 2016, I was like, what is going on? Now, as uh, you mentioned, I've been a, a, a I've, I've given up my membership to Controls Freaks Anonymous, and I am a recovering perfectionist. Um, and my addiction of choice has been people pleasing over the years. <laughs> so you can imagine, most of everything I did was really based on trying to get accolades and accreditation. So when people read my bio, I just like insert our role because I'm like, yeah, that was that was the old me. Um, and I believe in you know pursuing excellence, but at the same time. We can get so caught up in ourselves that when we have something like a speed bump or a big fat stop sign that comes along, like a loss of a family member, um, it really can make you stop and think. Now, coupled with that, this was 2016. So she passed away in um, in the May. But a couple of weeks before that, I had really been challenged with one of my children. And I had, you know, my husband and I uh, come from South Africa, born and raised by that attitude of you just don't complain, you respect Adults and you just do as you're told, right? So we thought that kind of hard-nosed parenting would work. But in the 21st century, we are challenged by other influences like social media and all sorts of things our, parents, our kids are exposed to, right? So we had realized pretty quick that when one of our kids was really suffering severely with depression and anxiety, that something was wrong. And um, we had to pay attention. And for the longest time, I thought, you know, the medication or the, the the learning strategies or whatever else we exhausted them all would work and eventually it came to a head where he, he was so depressed we you know we were really worried about him harming himself like you know things like cutting himself and 
um, you know, all these kind of things that teenagers with um, depression and anxiety go through that a lot of us old school parents never really knew about or had to deal with. So to say it was a shock was an understatement. But that happened in the February. So when my mother-in-law passed away in the May, I physically came to a stop. I hit burnout and I literally couldn't move anymore. I, for like three months, I couldn't stop crying. My body was physically exhausted. I couldn't really do any exercise. You know, just those anxiety, panic attacks. I never knew what that was. Like, you know, I'd heard about these things happening and I always thought maybe people were just being overly dramatic. But once you realize <laughs> your body is freaking out and telling you that um, something is up, there's something that, you know, is an underlying trigger and trauma is a huge trigger, especially because I believe our bodies are, are you know, it will show us externally what we are dealing with internally because disease is dis-ease when you're not at peace when you aren't when you when it is not well with your soul which is your mind your will and your emotions and your spirit is is grieved your body starts to show it so whether it's you know you know skin can i mean you're a doctor as well so you know these things you know the mind body connection so this whole process of writing this book was really me journaling how god had to reform my view on my myself my self-identity because my identity was so wrapped up in what I did. Like I couldn't separate by who with my do. <clears throat> I kept thinking everything I did was an indication of my self-worth. But in, in including that, the third part of the story was that I also my business was starting to tank as much as I tried to revive it. Because for many years I was a photographer, but I really wanted to move into an online model of business and tried so many different courses and programs. Um, so I had lots of misses before I had any successes, but you know, people don't see that part. So it just happened to be the perfect storm that within about a four month period, all of these things came crashing down and there were all things I could not control. And as I, as I mentioned, as a control freak, can you imagine when <laughs> these things happen and you're like, Oh my goodness, what is going on? And so for me, to me, all I could do was just get on my knees and pray you know, as much as I tried to control the situation and fix things, because I'm a fixer by nature. If something's broke, I'm going to get there and fix it. Um, and eventually you have to stop and think, you know, what am I doing? Like, why am I doing this again? And I had to really look deep and think, you know, I can look at the behaviors. I like to call them fruit. The fruit on the tree will keep growing. You can prune it a little, but unless we get to the root and we rip that tree out by the root, that tree is going to keep pollinating itself and producing fruit, whether it's good or bad fruit. So I had to start really looking into why I would react the way I did. And through a process like of inner healing, you know, of a lot of Bible study. I mean, I closed my business down. I stopped updating things on social media for a, a full year. I went dark. Like I thought if I didn't update Facebook, it would be like the end of the world. And to be honest, nobody really noticed. <laughs> Only a few people were like, you know, I've noticed you haven't really been online as much. Like, what's going on? I'm like, thanks for paying attention. But, yeah, so all the things that I thought were important, you know, the likes and follows and, you know, look at me, and all of a sudden everyone, everyone is busy with their lives. That I had to realize and come back to a place like, what am I doing this for? You know, what is my big why? What is my purpose? And am I actually pursuing the purpose that God made me to be? Or have I just fallen into the trap of following what I think other people expect of me or what I think might work or might be successful? So I had to really unravel and to be able to rebuild myself up to finding my path of 
purpose. And for me, I've always been in, you know, I'd love to share, I love to speak. As you can tell, I can talk 100 miles an hour. So speaking and, you know, writing has always been one of those things. And I felt like I really needed to share my story and went down the route of um, really figuring out how I could do this. And um, it's really been, you know, since then, it's been a lot of hard lessons. But I'm grateful when I look back at those experiences and say I wouldn't be the person I am today if I had not been challenged in those ways. Um especially on the mindset level um, and really have to say that, you know, a lot of the time when we are, we are challenged with these things, like talk about parenting, right? Especially when we have children, they're no longer part of us. They are individuals who walk around with their own mind and will and and expectations and emotions. They're not the five-year-old who's like, yes, mommy, yes, daddy. When they get to like teenagers, it's like they literally become aliens. Like who is this person? I don't know. Where'd my child go? But it's navigating through those where we can keep our sanity and we can still keep the relationship intact while navigating this. Because, you know, for me, I haven't been a parent before. I'm only learning this. I always say to my, my first child, she's 21 now. I apologize in advance. You were my guinea pig. I made a lot of mistakes, but that's the only way I could learn. Because <laughs> no, none of my kids came with operations manuals, right? So as parents, we mess up a lot. So, and, and I just think that there's a lot of beauty from ashes that we can take from this and just really learn from it. So long story short, the book is called um, Warrior to Warrior, A Mother's Journey from Fear to Faith was really my journey of being challenged about how do I deal with a child who's going through this by dealing with my own internal issues. And I had to go through everything from dealing with rejection, dealing with pride, dealing with, you know, a- approval addiction and really finding myself and finding my faith again and rebuilding and getting rid of those roots of trees that didn't need to be there. You know, like anything, pruning can be pretty painful. But through the process, I ended up realizing that I, I was writing a book that would be useful to other people. So even to this day, I sometimes go like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've shared that. Like, oh, got myself out there. But like you, you find the book and find it really useful. And that to me is the biggest success it's not the Facebook likes and the followers and fans and bank balance it's the people that are lives are transformed through my story that really are is, is the most success and the most meaningful to me so I hope that answered your question oh hell yes <laughs> hell yes and it's actually really really lovely to read about you because you are honest about your own background which of course makes you the parent that you are you grew up in south africa in a more kind of orthodox more more kind of conservative um setting and uh, yeah for for you and me there there was a respect for authority there was a respect for your elders uh you were there to be seen not necessarily heard Although you made a change there because you were the evening <laughs> entertainment with doing yes. dance shows on the on the coffee table, etc. So from from an early age onwards, you were pleasing your your parents, and you were there. You you loved the accolades. You loved the 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 you lived for that. But then you got bullied at about the same time as I did. Mm-hmm. You got beaten up by two girls when you were thirteen. Then uh, the whole South Africa turned into this nightmare. Uh, with apartment, apartheid disappearing, good news, mm-hmm. and then the void being filled with chaos, violence, etc. And they, you described so beautifully that your father 
was so frustrated about that loss of control, the, the thefts, the, the violence that, that encroached into your, your thing. No surprise that you learned that control is a good thing and not being in control, bad thing. So yes, and you took control, you emigrated, you, you, your childhood sweetheart, you went to the UK. So again, your whole life was there taking control. Same with me, I took control. I couldn't get a job in Germany in 89 because at that time the wall came down. Uh, suddenly you could uh, get a doctor to mow your lawn. Uh, there were too many doctors there. Uh, a whole university in Berlin uh, got shut down. So it was 5,000 do uh, doctors were on the street. So I couldn't get a job. So a month later, I found myself suddenly in the UK. And uh, because I was a go-getter, I was from an early stage, I equally felt the need to control my environment which is crazy because then the alcohol took all the control away from me. So that's, you could talk about schizophrenia there until the cows come home, but it was <laughs> what it was. So my, my, my yearning for control certainly defined me and it made me who I am. So bottom line is in the sense of a successful doctor um, by just being that go-getter. So cool stuff. But then when it really comes close to you, your own family, your own things, then you suddenly realize you can't control that so easy. And you try something and it doesn't work out. And guys out there, if you listen to that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because whatever you have tried has not worked out. There was many moons ago, I came across this, this beautiful saying. Uh, it, was, it was someone complaining. God, the youth of nowadays, they are just horrible, disrespectful to their elders. They have so many changes and the way they eat, the way they behave, the way they talk back to you, it's awful. And you think, yeah, sure, sure, that's who wrote that. And you look down there, it was Homer or one of these, these really 3000 years ago, Greek <laughs> guys, changed. nothing has changed whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, the, the older thing. generation getting frustrated with the newer generation, Absolutely. right? And it's because we don't want to feel, because we, we like our comforts. We're humans, right? We like to have things the way they are. Mm. And especially when you have perfection put in there too, that also doesn't help because that's perfection is a very hard taskmaster. She never lets go. <laughs> so coupled with all of that, so whether your addiction is alcohol or food or people-pleasing, it still comes down to the root of being driven by something that you you either didn't feel like you're in control or oftentimes this, this was a result of trauma and pain and we're trying to medicate ourselves with some kind of way. So in order not to, th to think about it. And that's why um, sometimes, you know, when you say, okay, I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to ignore this part of my life. Like for the longest time, many people didn't know about my, my history in South Africa, even friends that I was close with, like you never told me that story. Cause I was like, who wants to know that? So eventually when I wrote this book, I was like, oh my gosh, I feel totally naked. I've just exposed everything. Um, and even friends who didn't even know that I was going through such a hard time because people make judgments of you, right? Like at school, I was often called snobby because I would keep to myself because nobody knew the internal struggles I was having. But people are quick to make judgments and to criticize what they don't know because if it's something out of our comfort zone, it can't be good, right? If it's something that I don't know, 
and surely it can't be true because if I don't know it, then no one else knows, right? And that that's the, the sort of lie that we all live with is that we think everybody thinks like us. But when you realize and you grow up a little and you realize, okay, maybe that's not how it works, you have to kind of roll with the punches and kind of just learn. Um, but by being more vulnerable and sharing, I find is, you know, being far more connective with people and creating a deeper relationship and saying that, I have a route of rejection, but, you know, I had this issue, but say my parents got divorced and I didn't have the best relationship with my dad or whoever it is. And instead of dealing with those roots and saying, let's deal with it, let forgive myself, forgive the person, we cover it up. We keep covering up with layers of performance or addiction or whatever, whatever your vice is. But I think, you know, I've met many people, even in their 80s, who are still broken five-year-olds because they've never dealt with the junk in their trunk from the past. And I keep saying to people, you know, this is, I think, one of the most crucial elements that people have ignored that now with today's society, especially with us living in this whole pandemic, we realize the importance of health. And like I'd mentioned to you before we recorded that I ended up with COVID in July and uh, my go-getter wasn't going nowhere. I was all of a sudden <laughs> found myself laying in bed, staring at the ceiling as much as I would I thought that would be a fabulous staycation. I found myself, I was light sensitive. I couldn't read. I couldn't watch TV. Even walking from the bed to the bathroom was a mission. I'd be like holding on the sides and, and uncoupled with COVID, I ended up with pneumonia because I have a history of um, asthma. So I was like, I'm fine. I got this. Now, let me tell you, I've been a germaphobe before it's been popular. Like before everyone was onto the hand sanitizer roll, I had my auto subscription on Amazon. They would deliver it often. Every time we traveled, I'd be the, the freaky one wearing a mask, wiping Absolutely. down the seats and the handle and the people would be like, mm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, yeah, I think I know what's going on here. So you can imagine when COVID hit my household, after I had cleaned everything and driving my my family crazy about my you know cleaning mentality but and it's funny enough well it's not so funny it's funny now but anyways back then it wasn't so funny but when I was the only one in the house who got it I kind of questioned you know why is that like we're all living together we were all exposed and I had to realize that you know I wasn't being very kind to myself I had been pushing myself beyond my limits living on adrenaline dealing with stuff or not even dealing with stuff shoving it under the carpet thinking I'll get to it later not eating properly and you know I had another I had an episode with one of my kids that caused some major trigger in my adrenal system you know the whole fight or flight issue you know those typical teenage mom and dad start having a showdown Um, and that triggered my immune system and so when I ended up with COVID I was like well what do you expect like hello you weren't exactly taking care of yourself but the frustrating thing is Laying there in the dark, there's nothing much more I could do other than contemplate the meaning of life. Like, why am I doing this to myself? So I seem to not get the picture. Like, instead of pushing myself to the limits, I need to realize why I keep doing this to myself. But at the same time, these speed bumps are good. And I think that's what we need to embrace is that pain is good. I know this is not popular to say this, but let me let me guarantee you this. Comfort is is nothing grows in a, in a comfort zone. You have to push yourself out your limits. So sometimes we hit the hit the limits of of our physical being, and we start to question things. But if we go through the process and we trust the process, that without pain there ain't no gain, right? Like if you want to go to the gym and you want to build muscle, you have to have that resistance. But I think what society has become, like we joke about this, like we're I was born in the seventies, and you know 
uh, we would say the youth of today are soft. They don't have grit. <laughs> uh, I find myself saying that to my young adult kids and they're like, oh, mom, you are so last season. You were so born in South Africa way in the 70s. Like nobody <laughs> does that anymore. I'm like, listen, you guys need to pull up your socks and you need to get some grit because I think as a society, we've lost that. And I think that's what we need to, instead of looking at it as, as something that's, being a victim and thinking, oh, well, this happened to me or this person did this to me or looking at it as I'm the victim. We need to start looking at like, how can we take this as an opportunity to grow? How can we push ourselves out of our comfort zones? Because we don't know what we don't know. It's only when we are willing to venture out. And yes, being uncomfortable doesn't feel good at first. But once you stretch yourself, you're never going to go back to the original shape. So the whole point is, where are you going? And you are in control of where you're going, but at the same time, we need to be more aware. I think awareness is so important. So instead of us fighting and, and, and trying to medicate or placate or hide or ignore or deny the resistance that comes our way, I think we need to really shift our mindset and think, okay, how can I embrace this and how can I learn the lesson so I can move on? Because I don't know about you, I don't want to be learning the same lessons over and over and over. <laughs> As far as it goes with the with the burnout, though, the two of us are prime examples, please. Um, I've made a living out of burnouts because I was go, 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 go. And it was typically yeah. in the past when I was still drinking, it was typically on the holidays. Um, it was go, 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 go. And then finally holiday. And without fail, I had a cold. I had. Oh, yeah. Fire. My husband laughs at me every time we would be in the car driving on holiday. And I'd be like, <coughs> <laughs> and he's like, not again. Why is it every time we go away, you end up sick? It's because you're holding it all together and you're living on adrenaline and you're That's living on, right. you know, uh, and then all of a sudden you just let it go and everything falls apart. Because he That's says to right. me, I have two speeds, full stop or full blast. There is no, there's nothing in between. So, exactly. You know. Exactly. And that is, I was like that up until rehab. And even nowadays, I I mean, for crying out loud, that's 12 shots of coffee. By the time I've done interviews today, they will be gone, okay? And then... You need to switch to green smoothies, okay? Kale oh, is so no. much... Oh. oh, I can tell you don't like it, but you're going to have to detox that system. Oh, please, Eventually, please, please. you'll embrace it. So whether it's exercise or green smoothies, <laughs> you're willing to try. And eventually, I, 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 you'll I, be like, oh, I like this. Oh, please, please. That's true. But then again, there's my addiction here. I am, I'm addicted to the adrenaline. I'm addicted to feeling this good, to have that inner power. You're like a celebrity, uh, right? They're like trajectory rise to the top. And that's why we often see them ending up depressed or suicidal. Because yeah. here's the thing, we can't maintain super high highs because the exactly. higher you go, yeah. the lower you're going to fall. And that's why we have a a problem with uh, depression and anxiety in today's um, society is because there's no balance. Everything is either super high and we, we're addicted to this, feeling good and go, 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 go. Then the body says, hang on, I can't handle this. And then it crashes. Exactly. So we need to find that balance, right? Uh, we need to find that. And for me, I say, especially to moms, you know, we are usually terrible at self-care. Uh -huh. And because we are the last ones on our list, we want to make sure the kids are fed and, yeah. you know, the housework is done and the list is ticked off. The husband is happy. The groceries are done. The cooking is and by the time you're like, what? To take a nap? Like, what? what is that? Yeah. But saying that now, I'm like a dinkum toddler. After COVID, I get to like four o'clock and I'm like, 
I can't function. I can't do dinner. Let me go and like have a nap. And I've realized now that as I'm almost, you know, I have to admit, I'm almost middle age. I'm not the 20 year old that could go for 16 hour days for three hours of sleep because now my body freaks out and says, this ain't going to cut it. Like if I want to make it to my eighties and nineties, I have to be thinking about how I'm treating my body now that I have to detox myself from being addicted to that adrenaline mode. And sometimes Absolutely. sitting on my hands and being quiet, I'm like, what are we doing now? What are we doing now? And I, it's like hard, like rest to me is, it's like punishment. Like my mom would say, go take a, go lay down and rest. I'll be like, oh, I don't want to go. That's pain for me. But I think that's part of what we, we need to do is we have to be willing to let go and say, I'm not finding an identity in my, my addiction. Like, being saying, I, and I agree when you're, you know, alcoholics to say, you know, I'm an, uh, admitting that you are and you have that problem is the first part of recovery. But there comes a time in your life where you have to let go of that badge and say, who am I going to be? That might have been who I was and that might have been how I identified. Like for me, I always had my identity in my clothes and what I was achieving and what I was doing, like whether I was a photographer or a marketing consultant or like I could never just describe me for me. It would always be about what I'm doing. I couldn't figure out how to separate the doing from the being because at the end of the day we are human beings not human doings like <laughs> hello so part of the whole process is readjusting the way we look at ourselves and redefining our identity and for me as well as a woman of faith I find that the, the best way to do that is finding going back to basics like what what how did God design me like what was I like as a five-year-old like before I was worried about what everyone thought about what were the things that brought me joy what are the things that came naturally to me that I would do without thinking that I didn't stop, start or stop doing because of what I thought people were going to say. So if I could go back to thinking of how I was as that carefree childlike, with that childlike wonder, and that's really what I find so, so encouraging about faith is that that's how God loves us, is the way he made us, that we, we mess it up by going to add on all these extra layers of things. And he's like, I just love you for you. Like, I don't care what you're resume looks like or how many things or how much money you have uh, eventually I just want to hang out and chat like you know just like a good old friend so for me I had to realize I had to go back to basics and reassess like why I was doing things and what was my purpose because I think a lot of us can go and get taken up into an area because we see somebody else making money or somebody else who has more Facebook likes and who seems more popular, who seems like a go-getter and maybe their way of doing things. I should try too. But I say trying to walk in someone else's shoes is, is not going to fit it. First of all, they're not, it's not comfortable. It's not my style and it's not going to take me where I want to go. So what is the point, right? So we need to really make sure we understand what do we want to be known for? And who are we at our core without the layers? And then we can start to build up. So sometimes it takes a little bit of going back and undoing the things we do. we have learned, learned behaviors, learned mindsets. But our, one of the biggest themes I always say is, you know, change your mind, you'll change your world. If you change the way you think and the way you see things, the world becomes a huge open uh, opportunity. Um, and then all of a sudden, you, know, you start to see things in new light. So... Yeah. So and I'm true. still learning, by the way. I'm still on my way. I haven't <laughs> arrived. <laughs> and you will never, you will never do that. You will never arrive. Um, at some stage, there is an end to your journey, no doubt about that, at least the journey as we know it now. But uh, the reality is we are on this learning path. 
and you loved the way you wrote it and you said it, that we do not have user manuals, neither for our children nor for ourselves. And that's the problem. We are dabbling. We are trying a bit this, a bit that. And then you find a shortcut uh, in your in your computer language. And you think, well, life that's hack. cool. All those uh, hacks. <laughs> that hacks. That's right. The life hack is good. The life hack of alcohol or the life hack of sugar. The immediate gratification. The, oh, I've got 10 oh, more caffeine. likes. Caf oh, come on. Stop <laughs> it now. Stop it. You Cut, cut, cut. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm half kidding, actually. Um, see, because, because I'm quite happy to accept that there is a Dr. Jekyll and a Mr. Hyde in me. Um, this is the Mr. Hyde. I can live with that. There have been worse Mr. Hydes in me than this one here. Um, but there's also uh, the guy in me who will, after two interviews this morning, has shut the door, will not do two, three more interviews, but instead will go into the pool, do a swim, then a stretch. And the stretch will be meditation. Whilst I stretch, I meditate. Or I'm going to be, tomorrow I might be in a spa or in a sauna. This is oh, my that time. <laughs> exactly. That's my time. That's me mm. doing nothing. Self-care. Exactly. Exactly right. And it took me a while to realize why I love my spa so much. And I thought, ah, I must be the warmth and my muscles relaxed. No, because I'm actually looking after myself, number one. Number two is I'm actually clearing my mind. It is mm. meditation. My mind wanders and I let it go somewhere. And then if I say, no, I don't want to, I don't want to think about it. Come back, come back. Let's think about nothing. It's just these jets just hitting you on your back. Mm. That's beautiful. And let's take that breath. Oh, isn't it nice? The breath mm. goes in, the breath goes out. Pure meditation, pure so micro breaks. And that is where you need to balance in your life. It's okay to do that. It's okay to run on adrenaline. I can't in my job as an anesthetist say, I want to be more zen. I want to yeah. do hum. But the patient is bleeding out. One second. Hum. Yeah, so it's, it's you yeah. know, it's about knowing the place and the timing for everything. Exactly. exactly. But finding that balance. Like, it's basically what we're talking about is finding that balance in life. We don't mm. want to have those high highs and those low lows because you crash and burn, like physically, emotionally, mentally, mm. spiritually. Too yep. much of anything isn't good. Nope. You know, too much Correct. sleep isn't too good. Too much TV Correct. isn't too good. Correct. You know, and I just think if we can find that that balance and awareness, and you know, even I can't remember where I saw this, but it was talking about these monks back in like the the fourteen hundreds, but a thing called contemplative prayer, which we've lost. Like, you know, the New Age world wants to talk about you know make it sound like it's new, but you know, it's been around for years. <laughs> that 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 part of just being able to sit still with your thoughts. Because nowadays, 21st century living, you're constantly bombarded. Like they say, we are we are bombarded with like 50,000 messages a day, which is twice as much as people would, would have got in their lifetime 100 years ago. So if you just think about it, that's no wonder our kids are like freaking out. They, their ba brains cannot absorb all this information. Like back when we, I was in South Africa, okay, everyone says South Africa was way behind the world, maybe 10 years. <laughs> you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, we didn't. We had like three channels, and the ways that I learned about things was from magazines yeah. and the three TV channels we had, and my friends. Mm. 
now when my kids, you know, fast forward 20 years, you know, social media and YouTube and, you know, TV and the internet and like, it's like too much going on. So if we as adults know that that is taxing on our body, it's no surprise that our kids are are suffering from that too. So I think it's so important for us as parents, as we're learning to be kinder to ourselves is to also have a different viewpoint and be willing to think, okay, we are living in a different society. Yeah. Maybe kids are not as respectful of adults as they used to be because that's what society demanded then, but how can we meet them where they're at? So for me, this whole experience of dealing with my child and helping him navigate um, seven years of depression and anxiety. Now he's a independent, you know, self-assured, living on his own, you know, much better, um, you know, and he's far more self-assured. And we have a good relationship. We didn't have to burn bridges because I'd realized soon that I didn't have to have it my way or the highway. They, they, we can meet them. We can, whether it's a child or a relationship, meet them where they're at. Like I always remember that my husband and I did epiphany that, you know, our son wasn't the sporty child that you see some of these other boys. He was, he's an artist. He's, you know, very much in his head. And when we realized computer games was his thing, um, we realized if we wanted to connect with him, we had to meet him where he's at. That even though my expectations or thoughts of what a 12 year old boy should do, I had to realize why it was important to him. And only once we started getting on his level, you know, did he, and we met him and said, okay, show me what you're interested in. Like, why is this so interesting to you? Without the judgment and criticism is really how the relationship got healed. So, and I think that's where we have to take everything in life is to stop being so judgmental and critical of ourselves and of others and say, where can we find that middle ground? Where can we find balance? Because being right is overrated. I can tell you that trying to win an argument and I like to be right. So for me to say, be humble and to say, I'm sorry I made a mistake. <laughs> Believe me, I had to work through those pride issues. Okay. Um, no I shit, get tested on that. So it's <laughs> exactly. like, God knows, he tests me on the things I need to learn. And sometimes we need to learn the lessons a few more times. So part of that humility is being able to admit that we have that problem and we need help and that we're willing to work on it. So I just think it's, it is, it's a journey. And I'm just grateful to be able to have be able to share the story and to share it with others that, you know, no matter where you are in your journey, you don't have to see yourself as a victim. You don't have to be stay stuck. You always have a choice. That's the difference why, you know, my, my nine-year-old, my 10-year-old says to me, like, why doesn't God just make everybody believe in him? Because I was like, he gave us free will. He wants us to want to choose him just like you have a relationship. You want to choose to be in a relationship with someone. He's not a dictator, you know, you can't just demand that someone be your friend, you know, like it doesn't work that way. Relationships are not, they're built on trust and time and patience and love and understanding. And I just feel, you know, if we can have that um, understanding towards, you know, our maker as well as those within our lives, I think we will have a much better understanding and a lot more kinder to ourselves and kinder to society. We wouldn't be so, there wouldn't be so much hate and judgment in the world if we just really realize things come from a place of love. And um, it all, and that's where it starts. You look contemplative. You have that look on your face. <laughs> I have, because your words are profound and they resonate with me uh, no end. But as with every good insight, it makes you think. And it makes you reflect on your own behavior, on your own values, on your own 
what happened yesterday to between my son and me and where does that fit now with our discussion that we are having here so there is this kind of intellectual abstract this is how we are supposed to be of course we are the modern now reformed grown-ups that accept that the children are uh, are their own beings and we might not they might not fit into our belief system it still pisses me off that the garden is not weeded that the washing up had to be done by my wife that the, the, it was all beautifully hoovered and, and I said, oh, well, thank you very much for doing that. And then he answers, well, actually, I, I can't take credit for that because mum did that. And you think, oh, you know, <laughs> this is the, you, still, you still have to, to deal with, your, with those deeply, deeply, deeply ingrained belief systems. Your values are there and they're there for a reason because... Uh, only just because they don't fit right now into the situation doesn't necessarily mean to say that they are bad. Okay, it is, it is, it is what it is. You have to, to analyze and be careful that you don't lose yourself again in the people pleasing. This time you're pleasing your, your son, your daughter, uh, because you're, you just try to make it work, try to make it happen, and you back up so much that everything is all right, regardless how selfish and stupid things they do. Uh, it is, and whilst they're used to judging descriptions of behavior, you all know what I'm talking about. Okay, so there it is. It is what it is. If if the room looks like a huge mess, well, the room is a mess, which means someone hasn't cleaned up. Uh, in all fairness, when I look around here in my production <laughs> studio, uh, we should probably not go down that route. <laughs> but well, and these instances, you think, you know, even as a parent, like yeah. we have this, like, I'm the parent, you're the child, you're meant yeah. to listen to me. And I can tell you, some of the biggest breakthroughs I had with, with my son was, yeah. <clears throat> and I said to him, I'm really sorry if, you know, just apologizing and saying, I'm really sorry for messing up. Like, I didn't mean to shout at you, but... I don't know what else to do. When you reveal your heart and you come from a place of love and judgment, you're like, how can we make this better? How can we have a discussion without us irritating each other? Because it seems like yeah. you, have I said something to offend you? And it's amazing how when you put your defenses oh. down and you come from a place of humility and they're like, you know what, mom, I was really not happy when you did that because this and this and this and this. You're like, okay, I get it. Mm. This isn't about a... a, a, a a control fight between who's going to win the battle, right? Sometimes deflecting it and saying, okay, I, I totally screwed up. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Because when you ask for help or when you say sorry, it's amazing, especially when you're dealing with the teenage psyche. It's like they don't know how to react because they're so used to being on a defensive, like combative level that if you can come from a level and say, what is it that's bothering you? Like, I, I really, I sense that you really, you know, PO'd with me from something I said or did. Like, what is it about you that, you know, what is it about the situation that really you don't want to, like, go with what I've asked? Like, tell me what you're thinking. I mean, for me, like, an example, like, we I had a similar instance a couple of years ago with my, my son, and he just wouldn't do what he wanted. And then I was like, what is your deal, dude? Like, I feel like you're blaming me for something. And he's like, Mom? I went to my friends and they were telling telling me about Pokemon and I am really angry with you because you didn't let me watch the Pokemon videos back when I was eight. 
Um, so now I'm going to, I'm really annoyed with you. So he came like, he was just like acting like an idiot for the, uh, just being mean to me. And I was like, what is going on? When I got to the, the bottom of it, I was like, so you're angry with me today because of a decision I made when you were eight, when you didn't really know what decisions were. Yeah. So, well, I'm really sorry that it disappointed you. But as a parent, I thought I was doing the best thing for you because I didn't think that was the best influence for you where you were at. Yeah. So now that you're 18, well, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And he's like, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> uh, End of discussion. Exactly. I could have so, so. gone into defense mode. I could have yeah. been, I listed yeah. all the things. I've just realized it's yeah. just being right is overrated. It's just really is not worth it. I mean, take choose social media. Yeah. yeah, choose your battles. Like go on like social media lately. Like I have um, been taking a break and not getting too involved because I, I can't deal with this negativity out there. Like, uh, the only reason I go on 9 is just to see if anybody sent me messages or if any prayer requests. Like I'm part of a few of these um, prayer request groups. Other than that is I will not engage with that kind of behavior. Same thing as with kids, right? We As parents, we're learning this because here's a saying my uh, father-in-law has always said, why do you want to fight with the pig in the mud? Because you're going to realize pretty quickly that the, the pig likes it. So the more you keep rolling around, you're just making the pig happy. So how about you try a different approach? That's <laughs> nice one. So, nice one. Yeah. So really it comes down to choices. And as I mentioned, you know, meaning uh, the free will part of our life is that part of our human nature is that we have that will. And this is where we're coming up against a teenage life is that free will is coming up. They want to exert their own independence, their own choices, and they start to question everything. I mean, my own son as well turned away turned away from the faith. He still, he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in anything, even though we, he was raised in a Christian home. And I believe one day he will find the light. I just have to still love him through it and be patient. And I'm not expecting him to believe what I believe. I want him to have his own understanding and his own experience and his own relationship that he will understand that, He's going to learn, he's going to believe things for himself because no matter what I do, I can stand on my head and do cartwheels. You can't convince someone if they don't want to be able to hear another perspective. So sometimes it's better just to, you know, keep the peace and just say this conflict isn't worth it. <laughs> exactly. And here we are. So two parents, same battle scars uh, and same insight to actually say look let's really choose your battles choose your choose your choose when it is right to be right and when it is okay to be right but don't insist on it and mm -hmm. it is sometimes it's so much easier as I especially said, with but, empathy you know when you can come from a place of empathy like if you can understand like why are you upset or also and flipping the script and saying you know like i found with my um with my kids as well, just telling them to do something is less effective than saying, you know, the reason I'm asking you to do this is because I'm, you know, mommy is really stressed and tired and I've been really dealing with this issue here. And sometimes when you give them information, they're like, oh, okay, I get it. Thanks so much. You know, and of course, a thousand thanks for the favors done that you do anyway. I pack the dishwasher cleaner, but I think everybody wants validation, right? Everybody is seeking approval. Everybody wants to be loved and everyone wants to be accepted. So, if we can remember that everybody is coming from that place of wanting that love and acceptance, mm. that it'll help us be more empathetic and realize that we're all human and we are all mm. make mistakes. But sometimes 
we don't have to be so dogmatic in our thinking and our in the ways we deal with things. That humility and walking in love is always going to be the way to move forward. And guys, I mean, out there, when you listen to that and you sort of halfway think, yes, yes, I understand that, but now I'm, I'm still, I am it. Um, think also about Stephen Covey's principle of the emotional bank account. You can't just always take out from the cash point and uh, you need to put things in and you need to give love and you need to give love in such a way that it is understood as being love. Tough love might be love in your eyes, but it might be tough, full stop, no love for the person that is receiving it. Now, sometimes it's necessary. Uh, sometimes you have to think, well, hang on. It is a simple explanation why you want something done and in, in ways that, that the other person can understand it is making so much difference in the way that that happens. And that's that's not just in, in family relations, that's in leadership, that's in, in any position where you want someone to do something. If you, in a simple way, can explain, I want you to do something that you don't want to do, but I need you to do it because, boom, it's getting done. Or the chances are much higher that it gets done. May not, but that's another story. Um, so Mimika, I could not agree more with you. It is, it is something where we all can learn so much. But it takes time for you to step out of the rat race, for you to step out of the hamster wheel. Because if you're running 10 miles, uh, 10 miles, well, 10 miles for the hamster, 120 miles for us uh, an hour, um, then, yeah, you don't have that insight. You don't come up for air to actually think for a moment and realize what's going on. The, the mindfulness that you step out of yourself rather than that the kind of fight and flight, but that you actually say stop, step out, and actually have a look. What's really going on? And look at yourself and think, did I really just behave like that? And why the hell did I do that? And it, you sort of think, bloody hell. Um, for that, you need to stop. For that, that you need to take a breather. And that's where the, the work-life balance comes in. That's where meditation comes in, yoga comes in, breathing exercises, however you call it. Reflect, how did you call it? Reflective Contemplative prayer. prayer. Cont <laughs> that's what, exactly. It's, 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 these are variations of a theme. These are basically stopping for a moment and taking a deep breath and seeing where are you at? Uh, and are things going smooth? Chances are no. Uh, and but are the coping mechanisms that you're using and the way you're going about these things, does it still suit you and suit the purpose and suit the loved one? Or are you flagging a dying horse, in our case, that of strict parents that, that demand respect and that demand that things are done? And why? Because we say so. Um, yeah, about that. Um, that might not work so well. Now, Mimika, you're so right in, 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 all, in all those things that you're saying. And I think it's so good. It's, it's amazing how you, how you described in your book, as well as now in the interview, there are repeatedly in your life, there are these moments when you get humbled and where, in your case, Jesus Christ just says, okay, girl, just 
called fire for a bit. And you typically don't listen to the message. So he then takes a two by four, whacks you over the head and says, (laughs) will you listen now? And that was COVID. That was many of the other stories that you told me. And sometimes we have to have that two by four over the head that we get stopped. And we think, oh, why do you punish us so much? God or universe or Greek gods or whatever. Um, It is the same as the same because you're not listening. You're not listening exactly. to what is good to you. <laughs> exactly. And it's either we can keep going around the mountain and keep learning the lesson. Because here's the thing. With life, we get the test first and yeah. then the lesson. <laughs> so <laughs> it doesn't work the other way around, right? <laughs> so the, the best thing is just to pass the test so you can move on uh, to the next level. Because I can yeah. guarantee you, I don't want to be going around the same mountain all over sure. again. <laughs> That's true. But when we talk about tests, there's the lovely saying, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Yes. I actually like the learning. I actually like to make mistakes and then learn from them. In the past, I've, I've repeated the mistakes so many times just to make sure that I get the lesson. No, nowadays I'm a bit more efficient in it. <laughs> I make the mistake once and then I try to learn from it. So guys, I invite you to take the same principle and to, to listen to, to numbnuts like, like Mimika and myself who have gone through all these trials and tribulations and who who are wearing the scars now, but we wear them at least on the outside, no longer deep on the inside and hidden by shame, guilt, and all the negative emotions, but rather to say, okay, we stuffed up there, and guys, you might as well listen to our story so that you don't have to stuff up. Um, That's where we are becoming the the open and humble people that we are, Um, the crazy people, the... how the hell can you tell all that in public? And repeatedly people tell me, well, well you, you're a doctor, but, but you're telling all that about yourself? Are you crazy? And it's, it's just, well, no, I'm not crazy. I was crazy when I thought I can hide it all and that I pretend that this to be this super being that is always in control of his emotions, always perfect. And then goes home and and screams the head off to the children and gets pissed on three bottles of wine um, because of the frustration, the pain, the anger, the resentment. No, that's crazy. What we do, what Mimika and I do, that's normal. Seek human connections with people who actually want to learn and are on the same journey as we are because we are all one tribe. And... You might come to the point where you guys say, well, actually, the tribe of which I roll at the moment, do you really want to be there? Or do you actually come across people maybe in a church, maybe in a, in a, a church youth group, uh, if you're a younger person, uh, where suddenly you find you find actually someone, wow, that would be really nice. So, oh, <laughs> Mimika, this was a fantastic interview. I'm so, so grateful for your passion, for your openness, your humility, your insights, because I'm sure that I learned a lot today. Uh, You held a mirror in front of my face, no two ways around that. And (laughs) 
uh, I will still not stop drinking coffee. Forget that. There's, there's <laughs> a line. And kale, I've tried it. It tastes like lawn clippings. Oh, <laughs> you got to add the flavors to it. Okay? <laughs> You're going to make it taste pretty. <laughs> That's cool. So give me spinach all the time. My garden is overgrown with spinach. So I go down well, that there route. Go. Well, there you go. There you go. It doesn't have to be the super kale. <laughs> so I guess what I'm saying is, you guys have to live your own journey. You have to live your own life. And there will be times when you choose the cheesecake, but there should be the balance where you also choose the kale or choose actually just that moment of sanity, that moment of quietness, of calmness and reflect, is what you're doing still serving you? Or is it time to make a different choice because it is free will? It is all about choices, and you guys can make that choice. Mimika, thank you so much for joining me today. I love talking to you. And well, I thanks for having me. This has been super fun. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Have a fantastic time. Bye. <laughs>